I highly recommend that everyone here see The King's Speech. Has all the elements of what we're talking about today. Great movie. I've heard the same thing. Anybody see The King's Speech? Somebody obviously did. Yeah, I've heard it's fantastic. So, so uh, maybe we'll have a movie night. <laughs> all righty. Well, thank you all for being so good about getting back to your seats. I know we're kind of driving you hard. We will have a, a break at lunchtime, and you can um, eat and walk outside for a minute. Um, it's kind of a long day. Um, Dr. Carrie Butler is with us today, and she is someone I have grown to love and respect hugely. Um, she's <laughs> awesome. She um, has her doctorate in social work. She is a professor up at Stephen F. Austin in Nacogdoches, so she, tr- she commutes a long yes, way. <laughs> she has two beautiful kids. She's married <laughs> to Craig. They go to church here. And um, Carrie has been very active in our, uh, she also has private practice where she sees folks. But she's been very active in our lay counselor program here, providing supervision. She's also seen a lot of uh, people here at no charge. Um, she's just an amazing soul, um, brilliant and beautiful, as you can tell. Aww, so, um, that's so sweet. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, um, so anyway, you're going you're gonna to enjoy hearing from Carrie. She's going to talk to us about early childhood recollections and begin to kind of open up your understanding a little bit about some of the, um, the techniques and tools that she has found useful in dealing with folks. So can I pray for you? Absolutely, please. God, thank you for Carrie. And I just pray for, um, for this time that she shares her heart. Lord, open our hearts to, and minds to hear from her. And just use all that we learn for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give Carrie a round of applause, please. (laughs) Wow, it was getting up and ready to be here just to hear that. That was, I'm not sure who he's talking about, but I really appreciate that introduction. Well, let me just say a little bit about early recollections. When I started out in graduate school and uh, a long, actually it was a long time ago, and my mentor, his name is Art Clark. He's with St. Lawrence University. I don't know if any of you are familiar with universities up north. Anybody? St. Lawrence? Yay, really? Awesome. Huh? Appleton? Uh, oh, in Wisconsin. Okay, all right, great. Um, and Clarkson? No, nobody's. Well, anyway, so that's where I, I grew up way up north, you know, almost on the Canadian border. So we know what cold is, right? Yeah, we got that. Um, And anyway, one of the things I learned back then is I learned about early recollections. And when this really came to life was when I started working with people. So even though it kind of uh, resonated with me and I really liked the concept, early recollections are an Adlerian technique. Alfred Adler was Freud's protege. Don't hold it against him. You know, there's... We've learned a lot from Freud and from Adler and all that, and I'll try not to be too um, academic about it, but it is important to know why he thought early recollections was important. And what it is, it's it's projective, meaning that when we learn things as a child, we carry themes and patterns with us through our lives. And it wasn't really until I started working with people that I saw how important this was. And today, I don't think I will see someone without eventually, over the first initial sessions, doing early recollections with them. That's how important I really feel like this is. So anyway, what are early recollections? Well, early recollections have to do with early childhood memories, as you can imagine. And in working with people, you know, sometimes they don't really see how important their early memories are, but they absolutely are, because when we're children, and and you know from the children you have or grandchildren or whatever, Children are so vulnerable, and we see this with people that are going through divorce and they don't want their children to be affected by it, but what usually happens? The children take on the blame, or they think that it's because of them, or, or sometimes we see that pattern. And it's not because we try, so, you know, we try hard not to, to help them not to be affected, but they just, what they do is they make their own interpretation because they're doing the best they can with what they know in their child's mind. And so early recollections are important because each and every one of us in here have made an interpretation about who we are, about what our world looks like, based on how we integrated information when we were kids. Now, you know, we can say, well, you know, when we were kids, that was a long time ago, I've grown up, that's not a problem. Okay, so let's talk about it, right? (laughs) I know I love it. Um, 
And so when, and I'll give you a few examples of some early recollections, but let me kind of give you the boundaries or the identifiers of really what early recollections are. Early recollections are not ongoing memories. They're not, um, well, I got up, I went to school, I came home, and, and, and this was an, you know, a significant um, event. That's not an early recollection. That's a memory. An early recollection is something that is like a snapshot in time. It's remembering being with a person, um, you know, maybe seeing the room that you're in. It's not an ongoing event. It's like a snapshot in time, maybe a five-minute window. And it's important when you're working with clients to make sure that you have this, because if it's a memory, you're going to lose the integrity of using the recollection, because you have to have, it's got to be that important in their mind. You see what I'm saying? Like, they have to be able to visualize it in their mind. Okay. Now, you and I both know that there are times we forget things easily, right? I mean, I don't remember really what I had for lunch yesterday. You know, I don't remember. <laughs> I'll be walking in the mall, and I'll stop, and I'll, I'll meet someone. I'll want to introduce my husband, and I look at him, and I have no idea who he is. This is, I forgot his name. He's my husband. You know, I mean, we just do, you know, our brains don't retain information sometimes that we want it to retain. And so if we can remember something that long ago, and, and visualize it in that picture-perfect way, it's probably carrying some significance. And so that's why when, they, when you kind of get that, that memory, and, and clients will oftentimes have a hard time, they're like, wow, okay, that's a long time ago. Okay, so they have to have that picture in their mind, and it's before the age of eight. Before the age of eight. Now, that doesn't mean that older memories aren't important. It's just important in a different way. But for early recollections, in terms of identifying some patterns and themes that might be prevalent in the way they deal with people, the way they see their lives, how they cognitively put things together, it's before the age of eight. Okay? So, um, just to kind of let you know, it's got to be before the age of eight. It's got to be uh, a picture. It's not something that's an ongoing memory. So it's important to let you know that so that if you're working with a client, you'll know kind of how to do it. So, all right. And my, my mentor, um, Art Clark, he's, he's I mean, we, we still keep in contact. He's actually sent me some current articles. He's done a lot of publishing on it. And I didn't realize there'd be so many people. I was going to pass them around, but, and, I, and I still can. But what he talks about, and what Adler really identified too, is that there are certain things in these memories that are important to pick up on. For example, any colors smells, the context, where you were, who you were with. Okay, these certain things. Why are they important? Well, because typically if in an early recollection you have family members that were there, um, maybe your mom, maybe your dad, what that says is there's something about that relationship that was significant, that maybe family is really important. There are other people that have um, early recollections and they might have been by themselves maybe outside playing or doing you know, certain things and they were by themselves, that person sometimes enjoys their alone time. They seek solitude and peace, right, just in kind of being away from it all. Maybe there's something, that, um, there's something about that. It can either be bad or good, and I'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so the colors, the context, the smells, and what's really interesting is that typically with color, not everybody remembers, you know, you don't want to press people and say, okay, all right, come on, you've got to come up with a color. What did you see? No, 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 no. Let them kind of dictate what it is that they saw. If they say that they've, they've seen a color or, or if they remember a color or if they remember um, a smell or something, usually what that indicates is that those things are still important. There may be, um, they might like fashion or there might, they have to have color. The color around them probably does something for their mood. Right? If you have like a, you know, a lot of color or, or maybe color isn't that important. Maybe it's a smell. Um, you know, in, in my early recollections, I remember walking to the playground with my sister, and I remember the smell of the fresh air outside. Oh, that just even to this day drives me crazy. I just, just stand up. I mean, I smell everything. It's bizarre. But anyway, there's something about the smell or the color or something that, that really kind of catches that person. Okay, so here's the main punch to early recollections. After a client discusses, 
you know, really what, what's, you know, what their early recollection was about. And, you know, they kind of, you know, explain it all, what they remember. Then what you want to do is after, after they explain it, the one thing that's really important that you really need to ask them is if you could attach one overall emotion to that, to that recollection, what would it be? And so it may be sadness, it might be fear, it might be anxiety, it might be whatever. And so normally what I do is I will get several of them, and usually it's between three and five or maybe more than that. Um, I will keep going. I've done it so long that I know when I have the information I need, and I'll keep going with them until um, I, I feel like I've gotten to a, a place with this person that, that they've, that I've got a good picture of what's going on. Um, I've had clients that will, they have like all these wonderful, wonderful memories and, and so on. But then the, then the last, it's usually the last one. If I keep pressing, it's usually the last one. Okay, so, all right, is there, I just want you to think, take some time to think if there's anything else. And sure enough, it will be something either devastating or it really hurt this person in such a way. And I'll know, okay, Let's talk about that. So, so what was, so, you know, break it down. What was your overall response? Um, I just felt like such a failure. I felt like my, my mom thought I wasn't capable of doing anything right. Or, okay, so they felt sad. Maybe they felt, um, you know, insecure or, or whatever they say the emotion is. But what I've also learned to do is I've learned to get how they interpreted it. So you felt really sad. Okay, so when you were with this person, what did you think, right, was, was going on? This is kind of an addition to early recollections, but I've learned that that cognitive qualifier is important because what that tells me is it tells me how are they piecing it together. And I mean as sure as anything. I have had clients describe their early recollections, and it is the almost exact situation or they've used the exact verbiage that they've used with their relationship with their husband. It's amazing how that happens. And so what I will do is I'll try to help them bridge the gap. And I will say, wow, that's really profound. Do you know when else I heard you use that phrase? And so then they kind of get it. Because what we need to do is we need to help them figure out sometimes where they're stuck or maybe what they did. And not to say, aha, see, you know, you're creating this in your own life. There you go. You know, that's, that's not what... No, we're coming to them in love. And, and we want to make sure they know, because this is what Christ does for us. You know, and especially as, as little kids, when we put this information together, we, we're just doing the best that we can. And we've all, you know, had our own experiences with this. And so we want to say, you know, so, so let's talk about that. And, and a lot of the times I'll, I'll bring in some other techniques to say, you know, wow, so if that was your little girl, what, what might you say to her? if she felt that. And it's amazing how people are so much harder on themselves than they would be the people in their lives that they care about, right? And so, right, and so when you were a little girl, you were just doing the best you could with that. But what's interesting is, is that this pattern seems to be important with your relationship at home, with your colleagues, with other family members, and so on. So helping them to identify these patterns, because sometimes... And you, you've been there, you know, you might say something to someone and you're joking around or, or maybe it's, you know, oh, you look good today and you know what they're going to do? They're going to, well, my hair must look really stupid because they felt like I, they had to compliment me. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, they just go to a dark place. And that was not your intention at all and it wasn't what you said, right? It was their interpretation of it. And so helping them to see how they're interpreting this information, what they own, right? And how they can get, and I think this is really, this is really amazing, and that is, is, I think that what happens with people is they get so caught up in their own junk that they don't see God's glory in their lives. They don't see how God can work in their relationships. They don't see how they can be free from some of the issues that bind them because they're, they're so... Um, there's something that's haunting their spirit. And so to, to really help them kind of figure this out and to, and to in, introduce God's love in that moment, to say that, you know, it's, it's okay. 
but, you know, let's just talk this out. Because somewhere along the line, you know, you learned that, that this is how things are in your life. That may not be the case. So while it's important to get the information from the early recollections, what do you then do with it? And that's what we're going to talk about here in a minute with cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay, so, you know, moving on to um, the perception and current circumstances, which has to do with how they view their relationships, what they may be doing. I've had, um, and and I'll talk to you about some examples. I had um, a client that was dealing with quite a bit of anxiety. And she just wanted to know, I mean, she um, was using some medication. There was a lot of stuff that was going, I mean, she was really trying to overcome this this issue. And so, but she, she didn't know why she was experiencing this. So, you know, I took her through um, the early recollections, and um, what she had mentioned was, I apologize, but I think I'm rubbing my microphone. I get really dynamic when I get excited. So, um, But she was saying that, uh, as she walked through some of her early recollections, she had some experiences in elementary school where her teacher would... Um, turn things over in the classroom, would, had, had physically, you know, um, yanked some students out of their chair, had, you know, and we might remember, I mean, some of us in here are old enough to remember that they, they were allowed to do this in school back then, but, um, but, they, but, but she remembers being terrified, terrified in class. And what was happening with me was that she would start to get anxious when she would come in to see me. Now, I don't know if any of you are kind of seeing the, the handwriting on the wall, but her anxiety around circumstances that, A, she couldn't control, and, B, she didn't know what she was getting into. And another factor, I was a woman, her teacher was a woman, and she felt a little intimidated. You see where I'm going with that? And this is something that, you know, you can't say definitively and nail everything, but you can see certain patterns. And sure enough, you know, we really had talked about this. And she was able to identify other experiences in her life where this was happening. And, and when you, and this is what I've learned, when I do early recollections, I mean, it goes, some other issues go right back there, and you'd think, oh, come on, really? You know, early recollections, that they could be that important? I'm telling you, they are. It's really amazing to see how people, can, how they interpret things as a child, and even though they're adults, and they may look at it differently, more maturely, obviously, but the pattern's still there. There's something still there. So there's a lot of freedom in helping them to uncover that and to also have some grace and understand God's grace in it that, yeah, it makes sense. You know, you were a kid. You were just making it mean the best you could with what you knew at the time. And then thirdly, so where do you go with that? Um, and so moving into the cognitive behavioral therapy stuff, I so dig cognitive behavioral therapy because... It's very useful. There's a lot of research on the effectiveness of cognitive behavioral therapy. And, and it's, it can be quite in-depth. And so I'm going to give you a very simplistic model that you'll be able to remember and, and use, hopefully. And, um, but anyway, so, so really the premise of it and really looking at what CBT is, really our, our thoughts, our cognitions, if you will, how we put information together is really what dictates how we respond to our world, our behavior, Okay, so how we put information together. And then also there's an affective or emotional component to that too. So our thoughts, and, and, and you know, sometimes it can go in reverse, and there are other models that go with behavior, then emotions, and then cognitions. But with this, we're looking at how our thoughts can be a precursor to really how we behave and how we react in certain circumstances. So I'm going to give you a general model, and I'm going to talk about core belief system and how early recollections tie in with this. Because I don't know if um, some of you, I know some of you in here, and I know you're already seeing you know, some folks that are coming in. To, I say they're clients, you, you, just folks that are coming in for, for help you know, with, with, for us here, or if you're just here for, for personal use. Um, but I know that um, you know, some of you are, are already using it and you're aware of it, but I really want to just kind of tie in the utility of it and then um, what the core belief system is all about. All right, so let me just kind of move along here. Okay, very simplistic cognitive behavioral. It's a model. 
And as a matter of fact, they use it in schools a lot of the time. So if any of you are teachers, you may already be well aware of this. And I used to work with, with kids. <laughs> I know, I don't mean to dumb it down, but um, I use this model with kids, and I find that it's effective with adults because a lot of times we can't remember anything either. So we have to have it simple. Okay, so you've got your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors. Doesn't get simpler than that. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example of this, and then I'm going to tie it into core belief system and how early recollections play a role in that. Okay, so... This is my favorite example. If you've heard it, if you've heard me talk about it before, you've heard this example. I have, he's a really good friend of mine. His name is Mitch. And I used to work with him at, at uh, Sam Houston State. And, you know, our families are really close. You know, let's just say, you know, I walk down the hallway and I see Mitch. I'm like, hey, what's going on? You know, he just gives me this look, you know, and keeps on walking. Okay. So then I might think, huh, you know, I wonder what's going on with that. You know, I, what I do, right? How come I've got this dirty look or whatever? You know, so maybe, you know, I might feel maybe a little hurt, a little bothered by that, okay? So maybe when I see him later on at the faculty meeting, maybe I'll just kind of stay away from Mitch because I don't know what's going on with Mitch today. Okay. All right, same example. I see Mitch walking down the hallway. Hey, Mitch, what's going on? Gives me the same look, keeps on walking. Okay, but then I might think, huh, I wonder if Mitch is okay. That's not like him. I might feel concern, maybe some empathy. So maybe at the faculty meeting what I'm going to do is I'm going to go up to Mitch and I'm going to make sure that he's okay. What was different? The same thing. The, the facts didn't change, right? The facts are, I walked down the hallway, I said hi to Mitch, Mitch gave me a look and he kept walking. That didn't change. What changed? The way I, the way I saw it, right? So in between here and here, there's some type of interpretation or what we do is we can assign a meaning you can assign a meaning, right, to what that is. Okay, so I can either make it mean that there's something going on, there's something wrong with me, or there's something going on with Mitch. Okay, well, that sounds easy, doesn't it? That's all I do with our clients. There you go. Okay, it's not that easy because this can be a pattern for some people, right? And it can, it can, this can look like anything. But I'm just giving you a general idea to show you how sometimes what we make things mean. Because we can't control what Mitch does. We can't control anybody else. The only person we can control is ourselves. So, but what we do with it is what we do have control over. How we respond to it. What we make it mean. You know? Is, is some, Mitch is having a bad day. He, there's something going on. Okay. That frees me up to be me. To be able to say, I can still love him where he is. I can still, it doesn't have to be about me. I don't have to make it like I'm slighted or whatever. And, and then, it, see, what happens here is then I can respond appropriately the way I feel like I should respond. Okay? Now, what can trip this up is that when we've got a pattern, right? And with core belief system, what, what cognitive behavioral therapy says about that is it's basically a view of our world. Our core beliefs, how we think our world operates, how we think, um, you know, what life should be like. It's really how we see the world based on our own experiences, based on our family. You know, you've heard the expression, you're a product of your environment. Well, you know, it's how we were, how, you know, we were socialized. So a lot of our core belief system is really that. And so cognitive behavioral therapy really talks about how we respond to our environment or we feel the way we do about ourselves based on how we see it, based on our core belief system. Now, what I have found really interesting is that early recollections really are super helpful in identifying how people see their world. You get it? Are you with me? Based on those early childhood memories. And so when I can get a glimpse of what's going on, maybe someone is anxious, maybe someone is insecure, maybe someone thinks 
that, you know, I've, I've seen it time and time again where clients will feel like they either aren't worth anything, they're dealing with self-worth issues, they're feeling really insecure about their ability to handle situations, and invariably it goes back to some type of attachment or issue with a primary caregiver or someone else significant in their lives. Maybe, maybe the, the guy didn't have a good relationship with his dad. Maybe there was something that went on with that attachment. He felt like he wasn't worth anything because his dad wasn't there. And it wasn't that his dad even said anything. It was the fact that he wasn't there. And so he, not that his dad even said anything to him that would give him the impression, but the fact that he wasn't there said, I'm not worth him being home. But you don't know what that's like until you find out from the client's perspective what it consists of. And so when you can do that, then you can say, okay, let's talk about that. So when you were a kid, dad wasn't there. You felt worthless. How did you respond? Well, you know, I just felt like in, in relationships that I was going to walk away from them before they walked away from me because I didn't want to deal with the pain of them leaving and feeling worthless again, right? Okay. So we take those facts. Now that you are able, because, and, and clients will tell you, I look back, I know my dad loves me. I know he didn't really mean that. Okay, that's great. That's an ace in the hole. Why? Because, so then how, so then what are you going to do with that? You're going to make it mean what? Instead of dad not loving you or, 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 or that you were worthless or not worth spending time, dad was busy. He was trying really hard to provide for the family. Or maybe dad had a bad relationship with his dad and he didn't know how to love. Right? So now you might be able to have some compassion for dad. Right? So it's amazing how many times I've seen men call their dads to have a different kind of conversation with them. I'm getting cold. I'm just thinking about that. Anyway, so do you see what I mean? So what do you do with it? So great information. You're going to talk to clients, and there are times I can guarantee you, especially if you haven't seen clients, you're going to be like, uh-oh, I'm stuck. I got all this information. I don't know what to do with it. When you do know what to do with it. First of all, you know, you, you love them. Well, I say that. I don't know if Paul's talked about boundaries. When I say you love them, you love, I don't know, I love people. And so I just love them because I know how much Christ loves me. So you don't have to go over and hug them. I mean, you've you got to be... You, you know about that, right? <laughs> now, if you talked about boundaries, Paul will get to it. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Okay. So anyway, um, but you know, you just you know, you just are there with them. And sometimes, even if you do feel stuck or you're not sure, you know, maybe take a time to pray. You know, take time to pray and just ask God for the right words, or or even or even if you're here for your own personal benefit and you get into an argument with your wife or your kid and you don't know how to respond. That's a really good time to say a little prayer about it. Because maybe what you need is a little break anyway. Okay, so just a little aside. Okay, so this is all well and good, but what happens is the pattern still continues. This is really good information, right? And so this is really good for them to start thinking about and digesting. But you know as well as I do, and especially those of you who've been through you know, programs like this before, and you go home, and guess what? You're still in the same stupid dynamic you are with your spouse or your child or whatever. A lot of good that did, right? Oh, that was, I, I know I'm doing, oh, so now, all I, all, now what I know is I'm just doing it wrong. That's great. So now I have more reason to feel ridiculous. Okay, so, so what do you do? Okay, you, these clients, you did not get in this pattern overnight, and you're not getting out of here overnight, Okay. There's another, uh, there's a conference that I went to. It was a marriage and family therapy conference about a year ago. And they talked about um, some studies that have been done on um, just, you know, cognition and uh, neuropsychology and, and all of this. And I forget, um, I forget the author, so, so pardon me, but I remember what he said, which was fascinating. And it makes perfect sense. Okay, you're going to love my diagram. Okay, what are these? Yeah, you think they're dots. They're neurons, okay? They're neurons. Okay, and so we have these neurons. And it's kind of like riding a bike or playing a guitar. The more you do something, the easier it is to do it, right? Or how many of you have driven home and you're sitting there in your, in your driveway and you're like, I have no idea how I got here, right? I have no idea. Or you're just on automatic pilot. 
you know, someone's talking to you, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so what do you think about that? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> right? You were responding. You don't know who was taking over in the moment. You were just responding, and you were somewhere else. You're on vacation. Um, so, we, you know, we do things spontaneously. Through, you know, we learn to respond to do things through repetition. Okay, well, in this, um, in the research that they've done, they've actually been able to see these, see, you know, like the neurons and to see the electrical impulses or to, to watch, you know, as someone's thinking, really to target what it is that's going on with how we think, you know, with cognition. And so in between, see how much you guys remember, in between these neurons, these gaps are called... Yay! Good for you. All right. There's synapses. Now, in between these synapses, the more we think, there is a substance that they've been able to identify and target that it's the myelin and sheath, right? The myelin and sheath that go around these neurological pathways. And so the more you think a certain way through repetition, guess what? It's like building muscle. The more you are going to think that way until you develop a different pathway, Right? Until, and this makes sense for rehabilitation, right? With people having to overcome circumstances, right? So you think a different path, you have a different pathway here. Now, what you have to do is you have to stop thinking this way in order to think this way. And then before long, this is going to fade away. Why? Because you've trained yourself to think differently. How do you do it? How do you do it in the moment so that you can actually break the pattern? Well, the first thing, now, Cognitive behavioral therapy calls it thought stopping. Alfred Adler calls it catching yourself. I like catching yourself because it just reminds me of how I have to catch myself when I start getting derailed. Okay, so it's called, you've got to catch yourself. So you catch yourself. Now, you might not, and chances are you're not going to, or your clients are not going to, catch themselves when they're in the middle of this pattern whether they're responding in a way that they don't want to respond, and they get into this dynamic with their loved one, and at the end of the day, they're like, I did it again. I fell into the trap. I did it again, right? Okay. Sometimes they can catch themselves before they get into it, and they can take a moment to just either take a break or do whatever they need to do to kind of regroup. But sometimes it's later on in the day, and you know what? I don't care as long as they do it, as long as you do it, as long as at some point you can. And what I have clients do a lot of the time is I will say, if at the end of the day you remember, you look back and take time at the end of the day. And you know, Paul was talking about journaling. This is really helpful. Take time at the end of the day to write down what happened and how now you figure you can get yourself back on track with that, whether it's going back to that person. I mean, I use this too. I'll, I'll give you an example. There are times that maybe I get into some ridiculous conversation with my husband, and then I realized at the end of the day that maybe I said something or did something I shouldn't have done. Why? Because I was feeling up against a wall about something. And you know what i got to do? I'm going back to apologize. Because it was about me. It wasn't about him. Right? Oh, what does the Lord say about humility? Okay. So, you know, so, and it's the same thing with your clients because we're human. I don't care who you are. You're going to be dealing with your own stuff. Okay? So... You know, you kind of, you got to catch yourself. And at the end of the day, write it, have him write it down. Write down where you got derailed and how you're going to get yourself back on track. Because what that will do is that will help them to catch themselves earlier and earlier until they can do it in the moment and they can really start recreating a different pattern. Are you with me? Okay. So you, can, you catch yourself, and then the, the next thing you have to do is you have to restructure the thoughts up here. What, what I make that mean, right? You have to restructure it. So another way that, you know, sometimes these words can structure. How do you spell structure? Or you structure thoughts? I'm not sure. You know, it's kind of like sometimes I look at 90. I don't know if I spelled it right. Okay. So you have to restructure the, the thoughts. And then, um, then you can kind of figure out, you know, how you want to get back to where you need to be. And sometimes restructuring thoughts can mean a couple of different things. It might mean, you know, just looking at you know, going through this again, what am I making that mean? And, and, you know, how am I feeling about that? And what do I need to do? And sometimes it can be even a quicker version of it. It might be positive, positive talk. 
you know, the positive self-talk is what, you know, what it's called. You know, people have their own tape recorder in their head, right, about, okay, if I've lost you, let me bring this back home. If you're married or if you have a child or a loved one, and let's say, um, oh, well, let me just give you something that I never experienced. Let's say I'm cooking dinner, and my husband's on the couch, and I've got one child here. I've got one child. Mommy, uh, uh, mommy, I need this. And I've got this child, and I'm cooking, boiling. You know, I've got boiling water. I've got some pasta going on. I've got other phones ringing, and, and my husband's sitting on the couch. I hear him laughing, watching a... Okay, um, Okay. so, you know, when, when I respond to that, right, you know, I'm going to have some kind of an emotional, you know, response to that, okay? So I need to be able to identify, you know, what it is that's bothering me about that. Is it about him? Or maybe there is something that needs to be done. Maybe what I need to say, you see, and oftentimes we'll talk about emotionally focused therapy later on in the, in the session, but, but what's going on with me? I'm feeling frustrated that I can't keep up with it all. And I need his help. And I need him to help me, right? And so that's usually not what I say. <laughs> so, um, but if I can catch myself early enough, right? Because at the end of the day, how am I going to feel about my alignment with my God for my behavior and what comes out of my mouth being the essence of who I am with my children watching, right? At the end of the day, it's you and him. And you know how you feel about yourself when you know you're messing up, right? And so I've got to be able to catch myself, restructure those thoughts, make them into something that even though I know that, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe my husband really should come and help me or, you know, do whatever. But it's going to be a lot more effective if I go to him in love to say, I'm overwhelmed. I, you know, I am, I really am glad that you're, you're in here and you're able to enjoy yourself because he works hard, Right? See, when I'm not upset about it, I can talk about it. It's no problem. But when I'm in the moment, right? But if I know that, if I go back and revisit it, right, and I know that's really how I feel, not just be my emotional um, freak out, right, that I can actually say, I really am, you know what, I really do love to hear him laugh. I am glad he's got a moment to just sit back and relax. But in that moment, I'm scared that something's going to slip. And so when I can communicate that to him, it bridges a gap, right? We build a bridge instead of tearing it down. Because when I come at him with something that's, that, that doesn't sound nearly as nice, then I'm building a wall. Because then I'm thinking, he's going to think I'm just thinking about me. I know some of you, I have so hit the nail on the head right now with some of you people. <laughs> that, um, so when I... See, when I come at him, it builds that wall because then it becomes about us being at odds instead of us loving each other, right? And what the whole emotion of it is. Okay, so the positive self-talk is in the moment when you can say something, right? In, in our minds, sometimes we have that tape recorder going of there he is sitting on the couch again. There he is doing nothing while he's letting me do everything. Right? I walk in the door and he sits down on the couch. He's going to let me do everything. Yeah, because you know what? I don't know how hard he worked today. And maybe what he really needs is just a moment to relax. And so we get the tape recorders going. And sometimes what we need to do is we need to identify this tape recorder. What's going on with that? And then talk about it, right? Open it up. Restructure those thoughts. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed here, and I'm feeling scared that I'm not going to be able to cover all my bases. Someone's going to, going to get burnt with boiling water, some, whatever the case may be. But you know what? To say, you know what? It's okay. I can, I can communicate this to him and ask for help in a loving way. He's enjoying himself. The kids just want my attention. You know? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
even when I'm cooking dinner. Okay? So, so and then just to, just, I, I add a third thing on here, and that is that you just got to give it to God. You just got to give it to God. You just need to pray about it, and you just, you know, because, because miracles do happen. And he can overcome anything. He can open your eyes, and he can help you to get it, even when you thought you never could. So in just kind of bringing all of this in together for you, when you think about each and every one of us, why we, why we see our world the way that we do, well, it's because we had people in our lives to help us get to where we are, right? You know, our, our parents, our other loved ones. And we are a product of our environment. Um, some of you have had people in your lives that brought you to church every Sunday. Maybe some of you didn't, but you had a family friend who went to church. Or someone, someone, or maybe it was just God knocking on your heart, but someone got to you, right? When we talk about attachment, right, Joe? Where is Joe? Anyway, when we talk about attachment in terms of, you know, how we feel about people and how important attachment is, we need each other. And so we are a product of really what we've learned from these people, how as, as children, just putting things together the best way that we could. And sometimes it's really helpful to uncover what that, what that is if it's holding us down. And then to be able to know there is something that we can do to move forward from that. If it was something that's really tripping us up, by God's grace, we can look at how we can uncover that and bring it together in such a way that you can be the person that God has designed you to be and have that vertical relationship squarely where it needs to be with him, to be the person you know that God's designed you to be, and your clients too, because that's what he offers us. He offers us this hope. So I've given you a lot of information this is kind of like the, the overall model. I've given you a lot of information in a short period of time. And so Paul and I have talked about maybe opening it up for questions and answers. Um, you can ask me questions. I don't know if I can answer them, but I will try. And he's got a microphone there if you need it. What do you do if no one can remember, like a, bring up a recall memory or beginning spot I've never had it happen but I have had people take some time I have uh, uh, can I ahead. respond to yes, you yes please I have had a couple of experiences with people who had no memories prior to the age of 12 wow um, and in that case um, it's very likely that either the person was dealing with a lot of depression as a child or possibly abuse there can be big gaps in memory based on that but I don't know. Maybe you've you've been able to get past that block with those. Um, I've I've never. But here's what I would do if I ran into that situation. Um, I haven't ever had anyone. I will give them. I'll give them plenty of time. And if they just can't do, if they if someone just couldn't do it, um, or sometimes they'll give me a couple, and I don't really feel like I've got what I need, and they just can't. They're just kind of stuck there. I'll just say, okay, let's put that aside. Okay. And what I would like for you to do for next week is I want you to, because sometimes it could be anxiety. They just can't go there. They feel like they just can't think of anything. I might just say, okay, well, just over the next week or two, just see if something comes up for you. And that's, even when I have had a lot of responses, they'll come back. And so I have clients come back and say, I thought of something else that I think is important. But um, then you just kind of move on from there. And then maybe what you can do is just start where they do remember. You know, just talk about what you, what you do have with them and just make it a, a safe place. There may be something. There's a reason why they're not remembering. And, uh, you know, I totally agree with Paul. I mean, it could be something very traumatic. It could be either the depression. It could be, I mean, very traumatic circumstances. And, and there's a reason why they're not remembering it. They probably, they probably don't need to remember it. I mean, something, if, if they're not remembering, there's a reason for it. It could have been so traumatic that they just, it's not safe for them to really go there. What if uh, during this process what you find out is that you've got to the point where you're restructuring your thoughts and it's not necessarily a point where any longer it's the childhood recollection that's the problem, but like say you've you've restructured your thoughts and now you're like, hey, maybe Mitch is having a bad day, so now my behavior is I'm going to talk to Mitch. 
But then you find out that Mitch was mad at you and lashes okay. out. And so now you're, that tape recorder is going off, and now you, you've got yourself all mixed okay. up. Oh, so, so your worst fear is validated. It is me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, okay. Well, then you've got to catch it. Because let's say that something kind of validates. Oh, my, you know. So let's say that someone, like, let's say Mitch says, well, I am upset because, you know, you did this or you did that, and I just don't think that that was very considerate or, or whatever. You know, you can see, you know, see where that, probably the chances are is that you didn't intend to hurt him, right? You didn't, especially if you don't know, you didn't intend to. So why would you continue on this if you didn't intend to? If he took it that way, because people are going to deal with problems. And so what you can do is say, yeah, so you, you can resolve that and say, wow, I really, I didn't mean for that to happen. I apologize. What I meant was this. So, you know, however you want to resolve it. Maybe we can get through it. Maybe, you know, we can resolve that or whatever. And to put you back up here, was that what you intended? No, that wasn't what I meant. You know where your heart was with that. So someone had a, someone had a reaction. You know, someone can, can come up and, and say to you, I think you're a blah, 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 blah. Could happen. Might have even happened before. Does that mean you have to believe it? You know, one of my favorite quotes is by Eleanor Roosevelt. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. You're believing it to some degree, right? And so that's what you work with. Probably those early recollections, right? They're still dealing. So what I do is I help them. Yeah, that makes someone will come in. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense that you feel like you're not worth anything or that you're inadequate in relationships. That makes sense, doesn't it? You've been feeling this way for a long time. But you know where you are. You know what your intentions were. You're not perfect, but you're trying your best. Right? And so what do you make that mean? And how do you go forward? Am I answering your question? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dealing with something yeah. so traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to, I mean, if, it, if it's a situation like that, it may be pretty obvious. You work with a PTSD. I mean, it, you know, as a lay counselor, you may not feel qualified to do that. You know, you may refer that person or whatever if, if, if you feel like you, you can't do that. But usually there's something. I always like to get the early recollections just to see where they are with it. What, what, what is, I like to kind of, what it helps me to do is figure out what is important to them. How, what, to get at that core belief system, how do they see their world? And how does this PTSD fit in with that? You see what I mean? Because if it's working with the PTSD, because here's the deal. One of the things that they talk about in emotionally focused therapy that we'll talk about later on is that an emotion is an, an emotion whether you felt it in childhood or whether you felt it as an adult. So while you are working with people you're talking about early recollections, you're still dealing with their lives today. Okay, you're not, you're not necessarily doing the, the inner child stuff. I mean, some of that may be relevant. I'm not getting into that. But some of that may be relevant, but you're still working with what's going on with them today. It just helps to explain maybe, right, some of their thoughts, their patterns, their tendencies. Does that make sense? And so you can kind of get that information and then kind of look at you know, the PTSD, and it's hard to, hard to explain without an example, but you might, you know, look, huh? yeah, you, you might, you might, yeah, with that example, you might look at, I mean, you can get the early recollection, that's, that's not the presenting problem, though, that's not, you know, the early recollections, are, and it doesn't seem to be the presenting problem in terms of, um, you know, having some type of an insecurity, or whatever. It, it's, it has to do more with the event itself. That's a different, that trauma is a different circumstance altogether. That's almost, an, that's almost an aside from what we're doing in here. However, it's a great question because you're going to probably see it. Okay? So you, you can get this information just to cut. You might just see what they, what they felt was important. What was their outlook with their family? What were their expectations? How does that differ from their reality now? You see? Okay? Maybe doing... I had a quick question. I'm still not clear on how do you do the initial inquiry about the early recollections. How, how do you pose the question or ask? I got it. I got it. Okay, what I typically do 
is, you know, when they come in, I'll, I'll explain what, a little bit about the early recollections, just like what I did with you. You know, and I'll just say, I like to do this technique because it's, it's very helpful sometimes in identifying patterns and themes that, you, that might be important to you today in terms of whatever their issue may be or whatever. And so, and I usually ask the permission, are you willing to do that? But yes, okay. Um, and so the early recollections, and I basically tell them what they're like. It's not an ongoing memory. It's a snapshot in time. And <clears throat> it needs to be before the age of eight. And so um, if I feel like you're giving me something that's not an early recollection, I'll probably ask you to identify another one or something. And I'm going to give you time to just kind of sit and think and see what comes up. I'm not going to... Sometimes I ask them if they haven't mentioned colors. Sometimes I will prompt them and say, have you... Did you notice any, you know, were there any colors? Were there any, any other sensations? And they'll either say yes or no. Um, some people do that. Some people don't. But I always ask after each one, before they move on to the next one, I always ask about the emotional response. If you could, you could identify one or two words. And then I also, I go a step further with it, and I will um, usually kind of get a feel for the interpretation of that, like why they felt that way. Because that helps with the cognitive part. I just want to know what a PTSD is. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic, like with, um, with war, war veterans that come back from war and they're dealing with trauma, and they have relapses, certain memories that will come back, or they may feel like they're still in war, and they're dealing with physical symptoms based on emotional and psychological trauma. By the way, that's my son, John Paul, that's back there with the microphone. I'm very proud of him. He's working on his, master, on his uh, bachelor's in psychology up Woo-hoo. at Sam Houston. So All right. He's my youngest of my three. Yay. Um, I was wondering about teenagers, uh, mm-hmm. because this is something that they, you know, from eight earlier. What's too young for somebody to be dealing with this recollection? Um, with teenagers, you can absolutely do early recollections with them. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, a, a teenager, probably, you know, 15 or so, someone who is able to, to comprehend, you know, really what it is that you're asking from them. With cognitive behavioral therapy, they need to be old enough to really get it because if they can't piece it together, you know, if they're not at a developmental age where they can put this together, it's not going to benefit them. They'll, it'll just confuse them. So, you know, but what, but with, I do do this though. I've done it with elementary students. I may not pair the early recollections because they're still in the throes of it. But what it can help them with is it can help them identify and to be responsible for their behavior based on how they're viewing what's going on with their mom, with their friends, you know, putting it in a perspective where they see it differently. Does that that help? Yes. And and also, if, if your own kids are somebody who you think, you know, wow, I know that they went through some tough stuff, yep. and, and this would be helpful to them. Obviously, this isn't something that you can really do to your own child because not in this way because they might not want to tell you what's going on because you might be a part of it. Yeah. You know, it's in the recollection, yeah. and they maybe want to, you know, kind of keep you from it or not want to tell you. Yeah. yeah. And if that's the case, if you suspect that, then, you know, you might hook up with somebody else, either a school counselor or, you know, a therapist, you know, in the community that might be able to help with that. Um, but what you can do is you can still reinforce this, you know, at home about, you know, wh- how they're making it mean or, or, you know, to talk with them a little bit about, um, you know, wh- how they're seeing it and, and you know, do, using a lot of encouragement and all of that to help them to feel like they're going in a positive direction. Um, <clears throat> I've had my son tell me some things that, <laughs> um, that you know, about my reaction to something or other or um and and so it's been really help <clears throat> it's been extremely helpful i was like so thankful it was a total god thing i'm like i'm so glad he talked with me about that so that i could actually i felt like i could do some repair work with him you know it was about him being at daycare and about how he really um it was it was terrible but it was about how he really wanted to be with me and he thought that i didn't want to be with him and I, I know, is that terrible? I felt like such a horrible mom. So then, you know, I just, I told him, I said, I said, I'm so glad you shared that with me. I said, you know, I really want to be with you too. 
and I had to go to work, but I'll tell you what, we're going to find a special day for me and you. And just know that whenever you think about me at school, that I'm thinking about you too, and I always want to be with you. And, you know, I talked about, you know, working and, and needing to work. I know, really, for all of us working moms, what could be worse than that? But, so, but I'm so glad he told me that. So there are times that your children will open up and share things. And if, and if they don't, you feel like there is some of that work that needs to be done, then by all means, don't hesitate to, to maybe hook up with someone who can help. Very cool. Just want to put a plug in for a book um, called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. It's, it's mm. quite amazing. And it will bless you in dealing with clients as well. Some of the techniques and tools are very useful. Um, Carrie, thank you so much. Is there anything, any other nuggets that you want to share? Any uh, other like parting thoughts? Carrie's going to join us again um, later in the training to talk about emotionally focused therapy and marriage and some other things. But yeah. um, any other nuggets that you want to leave with folks with today? Yeah, there is something. It's, it's so funny. Um, and I was just mentioning this uh, to Tracy beforehand. But... Um, or, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was Terry. I can't remember. But my um, my mother-in-law gave me this audio tape. It was by Beth Moore. I was so excited. It's called So Long Insecurity. And after I got over thinking, why did she give this to me? Um, I realized <laughs> I realized there is something in this for me, which is I totally need to, to listen. It's amazing. I mean, she really helps us to figure. I mean, men and women. She talks about our culture and how it kind of can breed this insecurity about how it's just not good enough no matter what we do. Um, she talks about men and women and just general insecurities, um, how we see things. It's just uh, amazing. One thing that she said at the end, so I, I highly recommend the book, by the way, um, and it, I think it might be very helpful to some of your, your clients. Um, but what she says at the end is really profound. It reminded me of something that you were saying um, she was talking about sometimes with her insecurities. She was praying about it one day, and it's almost like the Lord was speaking to her heart, saying, "Go, just go all there with it." Like, and so she was thinking about her worst, her worst insecurity. Like, her husband would leave her for a, a younger woman, and her two grown daughters would just love this woman. And so she was just really, you know, right? This her worst fear coming to life, and so she, um, she just went there with it, and then. See, what, what she was so afraid of and what she avoided with this. And, and see, what this would do is it would spark, you know, if he was looking at somebody else. You know, this fear was kind of driving, right, some of her responses. And so she said, go out there with it. What if it really happened? Or what if, heaven forbid, you should lose one of your loved ones too early, right? Your worst fear, what would you do if you really went there and you, you would... You would feel the grief. You would feel the pain. It would, be, it would be devastating, right? But what's on the other side of that? And that's what she was saying. Yeah. What's on the other side of that? You would still glorify God. You'd still be his. Mm. And you would turn that around to do what you could with it to serve him. How awesome is that? Yeah. So anyway, just, that's cool. my tidbit. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Let's yeah, give Carrie a round of applause. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Wow. You know, um, like Carrie was saying, you know, at the end of the day, if we invite people to go there in their lives, um, the question is, will God still be God? The answer is yes. Will God still be good? The answer is yes. If God is God and God is good, then we are going to be fine. All will be well. There are three elements that I I love about... um, what Carrie is sharing that I just want to um, reinforce. Uh, we talked about the C's of counseling. That for change, we need connection, confession, course correction, and conviction. Well, there's some other C's that you're, that you're cultivating in the people you're working with that will help them to grow. The first is curiosity. You have no idea how helpful it will be if you can cultivate curiosity in the people that you work with. And this early childhood recollection thing, so much of it depends on being curious. Like, Wow, think about this. What could it mean? Let's explore. Let's be curious. Maybe it has relevance for what God is doing in growing you up. So curiosity is huge. It overcomes fear. Um, They say curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought him back. Curiosity is so great. The second is courage. Um, Carrie is inviting us to be courageous with people and inviting them to go to those dark places, those painful memories, Be courageous about that. So curiosity, 
courage. And the third is compassion. We need to be compassionate, not just toward others, but toward ourselves. For many years uh, in psychology, we focused on self-esteem. And what we found out is that self-esteem has an ugly underbelly. And that self-esteem really is based on comparing yourself with other people. And it actually ends up separating yourself, you from others. Whereas self-compassion is an invitation to see yourself as a human being who is a mix of wonderful and terrible, a mix of beauty and ugly, a mix of, of glorious and gross. And, um, and when we have compassion toward ourselves, then we don't have to be so afraid to face our failures, our fears, our pain, our hurt, our past, the tragic things that happen, because we can relate to ourselves with that tenderness that we have experienced from the heart of God. So, curiosity, courage, compassion. Let's pray. It's time for, for lunch. Um, go get your lunch. Um, if you want to eat it in here, great. If you need some fresh air, you can go outside. But um, try to eat fairly quickly and, and give some time for you, you, you to share a little bit at your table. Our next session will start at, at uh, 1 o'clock. Um, our time is ticking, and we, we have to stop at 3.30. So and there's a lot more good stuff that I think you're going to really enjoy. So uh, we're not going to give you a very long lunch break, but hopefully it'll be enough for you to eat, take a break, and maybe share a little bit at your table. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your um, presence with us today. So glad that you love us, that you invite us into a way of being that is, um, that is full of joy and peace. And Lord, we thank you so much that you've provided for us uh, this building, um, this food provision. And Lord, we just bless, uh, we ask that you bless our time of eating now as well. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Hold on just a second. Um, Carol Gooch um, is here, and um, uh, I'll have her share. A, can you stay for about a half an hour or so? Or you need to go? If you need to go, we'll just, I'll let you share right now. If you're going to be around, I'll have you share after they finish with lunch, toward the end of lunch. Okay, well, well let me just let Carol say a word right now. We'll invite her to come back another day to share more. But um, Carol has arranged for us to be able to offer uh, continuing education credits for LPCs for, for our time today. So if you're an LPC and you want those hours then be sure and get with me before the end of the day to fill out an evaluation so you can get those. Carol um, works with several psychiatric hospitals in the area, and we depend on her and the people she works with to provide a place of safety and um, care for people when they're really uh, needing something beyond what we can give them, either um, here as in the lay counseling or even as a professional counselor. Um, do you want to say just a couple of words while you're here, Carol? No, I haven't done that. I'll have them by the end of the day. They don't need them until the end of the day, do they? Do they need them? Sorry. Listen, I've known him forever. He's bad. Bad. Where's that ponytail? Uh, I can't. But that light kills me. I'm going way up here. Uh, I appreciate you letting me have a minute. I'm real professional today. Watch out. Don't tell anybody. But I am with Cypress Creek. Hospital off of 1960, Kingwood Pines in Kingwood, and West Oaks on the Southwest Freeway. And uh, I'm the regional, Houston Regional Director for Community Education and the Jason Foundation, which is our Youth Suicide Awareness and Prevention Program, and we have a faith-based program as well for our youth. Uh, Montgomery County has one of the highest suicide rates in the state of Texas, so I'm running around all over the place trying to spread the word. So if you need me for a suicide awareness and prevention, let me know or let Dr. Looney know. He can let me know. We give out free curriculum kits. I just have to come and tell you about the program and that kind of thing. And it's for grade 7 through 12. We don't have an elementary kit yet. And unfortunately, we've had eight, nine-year-olds threaten to kill themselves and also have. So we're going to be working on one of those kits. And we have a college kit and I'll be working with Long Star College. I'm already doing Sam Houston State as well. At the end of the program, um, there's an evaluation sheet, and then there's a sign-in sheet, and I'll get all that from Dr. Looney some other time because I w- wish I could stay, but I can't. And that's if you're an LPC, an LCDC, or an LMFT, PhD, or you just want a certificate <laughs> for general education, uh, fill out that the evaluation and sign in on the sign-in sheet. It asks for your social security number. 
I keep these files. Nobody sees them. I've only been audited since 1999 twice. But if you're worried about putting a social security, you put your license number, not driver's license, your professional license number, or just write your last four social. The state of Texas wants all this paperwork, you know, cut down another tree. So is there any questions? We got the five hours of CEUs, right? We're going to give five hours. And um, I think that's all. I'm, I'm going to leave Dr. Looney some brochures. I, I didn't know he was going to have 200 people. I, I didn't bring very many of anything. And I also offer CEUs at Cypress Creek Hospital the second Wednesday of the month. And Kingwood Pines the third Wednesday. I brought only 10 handouts for both of those. We have a child play therapy at Kingwood on um, March the tw- 16th. I'll be in Europe, so I won't be there. Okay. You need anything else for me? I think that's good. Thank you. I'll give Carol a round of applause for her contribution. Okay. Um, it's now almost 1235, so we'll start at 5 after. So enjoy your lunch and be prompt to getting back at 5 after.